Welcome to Something to Talk About. I'm your host, Randy Wartelski, and today we're going to give you something to talk about. And today, ladies and gentlemen, we are talking about technology. And I want to know, what is technology doing to you? Because today I'm going to tell you what I think technology is doing to us and what I think technology is doing to me. I mean, it seems like technology is all the rave right now. I mean, everywhere you look, there's something technological that's new and great and amazing out there. As a matter of fact, just this week, I started to receive emails from Toys R Us. Now, the interesting thing is every morning when I wake up, I have about 10 emails waiting for me on my smartphone. I've got coupons from Staples. I got coupons from The Gap. I've got coupons from Ann Taylor Loft. I've got coupons. Now, you guys know all my shopping patterns here. I've got coupons from Lomans. I've got coupons from many, many, many retailers. And every coupon says, hurry up, last day, 30% off. And I feel that need to save the email so that I can go online later today and I can get that 30% off. And then lo and behold, the day goes by. I haven't gone online. I haven't bought anything in the store. They haven't gotten me to the store because I'm busy today. And then I wake up the very next morning and I have another email. Today it's 40% off and then it's 40% off and 50% off if you buy this full price and then you get another item. How do they know, ladies and gentlemen, that I haven't bought anything yet? And then the email comes back the next day and it beckons me, come to my website, come to my store, please buy me. It knows I want to come back to the Toys R Us email because I have to tell you, I don't regularly receive emails from Toys R Us, but this was a very interesting email because this email is offering me that if I buy one toy at full price, I'm going to get the second one 50% off. And I'm thinking to myself, this week, it's only the, almost the end of October. It's not even November. It's nowhere near Black Friday. And they're already asking me to think about buying toys. They're already asking me to think about Hanukkah. They're already asking me to buy toys, to go into the store, and to start thinking about it. And you know what? When I came home today, I found in my mailbox two toy catalogs of places I've never shopped. They know, ladies and gentlemen, and how do they know? And I want to tell you something interesting that I saw in the toy catalog. It's called My First Weather Station, and it reads as follows. This digital weather predictor includes all the pertinent information, temperature, indoors and outdoors, predicted high and low. Okay, nothing new here. We, we've all seen these, these weather stations. Time plus, aha, and this is, where they, this is where they get you. This is a new thing. A young meteorologist and get this, whose outfits change with the weather. Choose boy or girl meteorologist. So you've got your tower, you've got the, the digital time on top, you've got the digital weather, you've got the digital weather in, in both Fahrenheit and Celsius if you want it, you've got the percentage chance of rain, probably the barometer and whatnot, all this other stuff. The weather predictor changes clothes in the center you see a digital image of, you can choose either a boy or a girl, and the weather predictor changes clothes as the temperature changes. So now when your child gets up and gets dressed for school, your child could look at his or her weather predictor and decide on his or her own if he or she should wear long sleeves or short sleeves to school. So now the weather predictor, my first weather station, has eliminated the need for you, the parent, to help the child get dressed. Because now with my first weather station that has the picture of the boy or the girl in the center, your son or daughter can now choose on their own what they need to wear to school and they can check the weather on their very own without needing to ask you for help. I don't know why I find this so amazing. I've seen the weather station. I've wondered how it works, but I guess it's one of those things, you know, you put the receiver outside, it smells the weather, it smells the air, it sends the numbers to the to the thing inside that sits in your room where you can look at it digitally. I don't know why it's so amazing to me how it works, but to then have 
a picture on there, a digital picture of a child to now help the child get dressed. Now you have a weather station that doesn't just report numbers, but it gives you advice. And I think that's pretty amazing. And this is what technology is doing to us, ladies and gentlemen. Technology is helping us think. Technology is moving with the times. We are moving with the times. And technology is taking our thoughts and helping us put them into action. The other night, my daughter was doing homework on the computer. Not just regular typing up a document to Microsoft Word or whatever. She now has spelling homework on the internet, as does my son. Spelling homework on the internet. They log in. They play some games. They go through the whole cycle. The teacher gives you an assignment. They tell you which one to click on. And after you do the spelling homework, it sends a message to the teacher that you have completed your homework. So now technology is not only making homework, I guess, more fun and interesting for your child, but it is also eliminating the teacher's need to physically go into your child's folder to check to see if they did the homework. And not only that, the teacher doesn't even have to mark it. The spelling program sends an automatic message to the teacher that tells the teacher what the child got right and what the child got wrong and how many they did and how probably, I don't think it does, but it could probably tell them how long it took them to do it as well. And the funny thing is, the teacher doesn't actually really even know if it was that specific child who did the homework because I suppose that anyone in the family could go on the computer and do the homework for the child. But the teacher does get a report that the child did in fact do his or her homework. Spelling homework on the internet that tells teachers if the child completed it. It's really amazing. And I have to tell you something else that was happening while my daughter was doing her spelling homework is she came to me crying because the canine web protection kept going off while she was working on her homework. And every time the canine web protection went on, and it barks at me. It does this thing where if you're on a website, and a pop-up wants to come on that may or may not be appropriate or whatever, it barks. It literally goes, woof, woof, something like that. And then you have to input an administrator password that then resets the program to whatever you had been using before. And then it allows, let's say, 15 minutes, 30 minutes, 60 minutes, whatever it is, for you to engage in that program online, whatever program you're working on, and it doesn't bother you for that amount of time. And such is the canine web protection alert. And every time that web protection alert came on and she calls me and I come down to the computer and I type in the password and then she gets to work again, but oh no, it has totally obliterated her progress. So now she has to start the spelling homework all over again. So technology here, not really helping her out so much. Maybe it's blocking her from seeing content online that she shouldn't be seeing. That's a good thing. But two or three times, she had to go back and start her spelling homework from scratch. That was very, very, very frustrating. And as a child, to sit at the computer and have, and have the program not recognize, I've already completed that. It was so frustrating. Technology is really, really astounding. I just I have to tell you, I've gone to the dark side. I have given up my BlackBerry. And I have gotten myself an iPhone. And kids are really amazing. My kids are so excited by the iPhone. And I'm like, don't touch it. You're not allowed to touch it. You're not allowed to touch it. Because I don't for it yet. And it's very delicate. And the last thing I want to happen is for this thing to fall down and crack into a million pieces. Because I literally just got it like two days ago. I haven't even, I, I haven't, I've barely even set up my voicemail. I haven't even learned how to use WhatsApp or any of those other things that are on there. And all my kids want to know is if they could see it, they could touch it, they want to know what apps I have on it. And then the biggest question of the day is, Mommy, now you have an iPhone. Could I have your iPod? We're going to go to a song, ladies and gentlemen, and we'll be back.
something to talk about everybody I'm Randy Wartelski here and we're talking about technology a while back Shim Kramer and Mark Spear had an edition of the stunt show in which they spoke to Shim's iPhone and they asked Siri a whole bunch of questions and Siri was answering and I actually thought was a, a very cute thing that they did there and they were asking emotional questions of the iPhone, and the iPhone was answering in an emotional way, but of course from the point of view of a computer. So, for example, if you say, I love you, Siri, to your iPhone, Siri will say something like, I bet you say that to all your Mac products. It's kind of funny, but you know what? I was in my, in my car the other day, trying to make a simple phone call and trying to use that voice feature and I absolutely could not get the person that I wanted to get from my address book to be the one that Siri recognized that I wanted to call and I must have said it a dozen different ways I could not figure out how to get Siri to recognize that I wanted to call Ari and so what I had to do, and they, they say, the Siri says to me, Airy, they want to know if you want Airy Mobile. They want to know if you want Airy Home. Obviously, Airy has a lot of phone numbers. They want to know which one you want to call them on. But if only I could get Siri to recognize that Ari was in fact the one I wanted to call, I had to add the word hubby to the to the address book so that now if I want to call Ari, I have to say Ari Hubby. So actually adding Ari Hubby was Ari's brainchild because it is seriously the only way that Siri will recognize that that's who I want to call. So is technology helping me or is technology just making the simple phone call much more frustrating? I mean, I can't dial the phone and hold the phone to my ear while I'm driving. So the voice feature is a wonderful feature and a very safe way to use your phone while you're in the car and while you're driving. But seriously, if I have to ask the phone 10 times to help me get somebody from my address book and it's always the wrong person, ladies and gentlemen, if I call you by accident, you'll know it wasn't my fault. It was because of Siri. The New York Times recently published an article about BlackBerry users. And the title of the article talks about the BlackBerry phone. And the first paragraph says that a woman with whom they spoke, whom they interviewed, 
speaks about her BlackBerry phone the way someone might speak of an embarrassing relative. I mean, really. The BlackBerry is a wonderful phone. It is not an embarrassing relative. I, I don't know why she would say that. And she says she's ashamed of it. In meetings, she hides her BlackBerry beneath her iPad for fear clients will see her and judge her. I don't know if you guys listening out there in big business, if you feel the same way or if you're even listening as you drive your children's carpool, if you feel the same way about your BlackBerry. But according to the article, the BlackBerry was once proudly carried by the high-powered and the elite. But those who still hold one today say the device has become a magnet for mockery and derision from those with iPhones and the latest Android phones. Could this be serious, ladies and gentlemen? Could this be real? And people who are still using Blackberries say that they are using Blackberries, obviously, because of the ease of the keyboard. And I agree with that. I cannot type on my smartphone. It recognizes the wrong words. It wants me to, to correct the words. I don't even know. I think I have to take off the auto spell check. That's what one of my friends recommended to me because it, I'll send a text and then I'll see it gets to the other side and it's not at all what I intended to write. And then I kept, keep trying to write it again and write it again and write it again and then it just comes out wrong. I wonder if some of you out there are having that same frustration with me, you know, that I'm having with my iPhone. If you're having that with the touch keypad as well, I feel like my fingers just can't find the letters as easily as you could find them on the BlackBerry keyboard. Anyway, Goldman Sachs recently gave its employees the option to use an iPhone, and so did some major law firms. And according to the New York Times article, even the White House, which used the BlackBerry for security reasons, recently started supporting the iPhone. And some staff members suspect that decision was influenced by none other than President Obama, who now prefers his iPad for national security briefings. Of course, a spokesman for the White House declined to comment. But here we are, Blackberries, iPhones, all we really want to do is be in touch with people. Does your device really matter? Well, I will tell you that the handy-dandy smartphone could take the place of several devices. It could also act for you as your GPS. It could also act for you as the place where you hear this program while you are driving in your car. You could be listening on your smartphone. It could also be the place where you get the latest news and information so that you can keep up with what's going on. And I don't agree with the article that says that BlackBerry users are like MySpace users. And one of these uh, per people that they interviewed for this article says they probably still chat on AOL Instant Messenger. Well, I know people who chat on AOL Instant Messenger, and that's not so bad. Not everybody chats on Google Chat, but I do know some young people who FaceTime each other on their Apple devices from one classroom to the next, or even from one part of the classroom to the other part of the classroom. And now this is how young people are talking to each other. They are talking on FaceTime. Actually, I think the most amazing thing about the smartphone, uh, about the iPhone in particular, because that's the one that I have, is the ability to speak face-to-face -face with loved ones who live far away. And it is especially wonderful to be able to speak to loved ones who live in Israel and if you live in New York or you live somewhere far away, if you live in California and you have loved ones in Israel, because the phone call is free. And the time difference obviously still is very difficult, but you know that you're seeing the person and you know that you're watching the person and you're getting that personal touch back. So now what's so interesting about this device is that though some may say that it takes away the person-to-person -person connection because no longer are people talking to each other now, they're standing next to each other, but they're texting each other. You all know that famous commercial. They're texting each other and they're standing next to each other talking to each other. But you can use your smartphone to actually talk to somebody face-to-face -face with whom you would not have the opportunity to speak to face-to-face. -to -face. And I think that that is a wonderful feature of the iPhone. But I have to say, I am somewhat just disenchanted with some of my Apple products. I am, as many of you know, if you've been listening to this show, I am a musician, I am a music teacher, 
and I have been encouraged to get a Mac computer so that I could avail myself of the wonderful programs on the Mac computer that are for creative use, such as iMovie, such as GarageBand. Now I have very successfully learned to use these programs in an amazing way and they are very, very, very amazing. And I've made a couple of movies and I've recorded a couple of songs. Maybe one day I'll play some of my music for you. Maybe one day I'll point you to the direction of some of my movies. But I'm a little bit frustrated with my Apple products because I now own three separate iPods that are all synced to three different Apple devices. And when I moved over from one iPod to the next iPod, then I got an iPod Touch, then the computer died. So now the old iPod is not actually synced to any computer because the computer is no longer with us. And I can't sync more than one more than one handheld device to more than one computer. Are you following me? Have I lost you yet? Because I lost my mind when I was trying to figure out what to do with my iPod situation. And if you sync the iPod to the computer, you might run the risk of losing all your songs because it might sync the wrong way and then it will erase your whole hard drive on your iPod. So now I'm afraid to sync the iPod to the computer because I'm afraid to lose all of the material that's on the iPod. It's so confusing. And you know, then there are people out there who don't own a personal music player, who don't own an iPod, who don't own an MP3 player. And maybe they get their music online. Maybe they get their music from friends. Maybe they still buy CDs. Could it be? Yes, ladies and gentlemen, there are songs out there on iTunes, but the majority of good Jewish music is not yet available on iTunes. It is available on other websites for purchase and download, which makes life much, much easier. But not all of it is available on iTunes, and sometimes it's difficult to bring in music of other formats into iTunes, and then if you want to share it, it's in iTunes format, and then it's password protected and copyright protected. And it's so confusing, and it's so complicated. And you really do have to keep up if you want to be able to follow these devices and learn how to use these devices in a positive way. And it really is somewhat frustrating. But the Apple Store is amazing because you can go in there with your Apple devices and they will walk you through it. They will help you. Uh, I think for a small fee, you can go in and make an appointment one-on-one -on -one, and they will help you learn whatever program you want to learn and they'll help you fix whatever problem it is that you're having. Getting back, I mentioned MySpace before. The most common question I get now when I meet someone is, are you on Facebook? Are you on Facebook? Are you on Facebook? Are you on Facebook? It's become a way of people to connect with old friends, connect with new friends, send each other videos, go, go and play pretend games together. But I've, uh, I've gone on Facebook and I have to say, Facebook is wonderful and Facebook is a great way to connect with this program and the other great programs on the Nahum Siegel Network. Um, but you could go on Facebook and uh, get a little bit, shall we say, distracted. You go to one person's page who brings you to another person's page who brings you to another person's page and then you want to put a message on this one and put a message on that one and then you see this person's pictures and oh, doesn't she look so cute at her wedding and then you look at this person's pictures and then you see this person's message and then it takes you here, there and everywhere. You got to be really careful when you decide to become a Facebook user and it is a decision that you will have to make. Uh, it is actually something that you will decide. I either You either want to be a Facebook user or you don't want to be a Facebook user. But if you decide to become a Facebook user, you have to be prepared for some of these potential distractions. And it has to be something that you do responsibly. As with any technology, you have to learn to use technology responsibly. And that is something that we teach the young people today, not just about cell phone etiquette, that it sometimes might just be rude to text your friends while somebody's trying to talk to you, or to not look up at a person when a person is speaking to you, because that's what's just inevitably been happening 
is that people are so used to speaking to each other via text or via email because it's so accessible and it's so easy that they're forgetting about that face-to-face connection. And it could be conceived, it could be seen as being rude. And we do teach today young adults to be very mindful of that when they are speaking to people and when they are hanging out with their friends, that they should remember that there is world, there is life, living life outside them that they need to be aware of. We're also teaching people today that if you're going to be a Facebook user, or you're going to post things online, you really need to be careful about what you post. You need to be careful about the things that you say, about the things that you say about yourself, things that you say about others. There have been stories told about people losing jobs because their potential employers are going online and doing a Google search or they're going online and they're finding their Facebook accounts and they are seeing things that they don't think match their job or their company or their institution or whatever it may be. So you have to be your Facebook profile or your Google thing, whatever you put out there, whatever you put online, you're post something, posting something on YouTube. It has to be something that you will stand behind and it has to be something that you are proud of because it could come back in a bad way eventually at some point if somebody were to find that and see that in a bad way. And, you know, technology is something, it is a tool, it is a tremendously powerful tool that can be used for such good and it could be used for spreading Torah and learning things and finding activities online for your children finding Parsha related songs and Parsha, I found Parsha related desserts online. Something that you can do at home to help your children get excited about the Parsha of the week. You can find a dessert recipe online that has to do with the Parsha. Technology is amazing. We just have to remember to use it responsibly. We're going to go to a song, ladies and gentlemen, and we'll be back right after this. Oh, 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 oh,
Something to talk about. I'm Randy Wartelski here at the Nachum Siegel Network, and today we're talking about technology. What is it doing to you? And I've talked for quite a bit now, the first half hour here, telling you what technology has done for me. And to bring in some perspective here in our next segment, something to talk about that I shouldn't be talking about, I've brought in my illustrious mother in law. Malki Cove, to bring some perspective on this whole technology discussion. Thank you so much for joining us today here on Something to Talk About. It's a real pleasure to be here with you, Randy, today. I want to ask you, what is a technological device that you recall having some, some impact in your, in your life or, or something that created a big change for you? I remember when mobile phones first came on the market and everybody was putting them into their cars. Oh, yes. You had to actually install it in the car the way you would a stereo system. And the workings of it were as big as an attache case and it went into the trunk and wires were run from the trunk through the back seat to the front seat the phone itself was as big as a brick. And it had that coil, that coil wire that connected it to its base. Yes, um, but it was permanently connected. You couldn't right. disconnect it. Right. Um, the receipt, you actually picked up a receiver like the old-fashioned phone, and it was connected. It wasn't uh, technically wireless. But you could also speak on speakerphone if you wanted to, right? I mean, you could press I the button I don't on the remember phone. that in the beginning. I don't remember that. But then at that time, they didn't give out tickets if you no, were holding the phone to your no, ear. There was... Like the ticket that and, I received. It, oh I wasn't actually holding the phone to my ear. I was holding the phone out in the open. And the policeman just... No. He just called me, yeah. And he said, oh, you have a whatever, whatever, whatever kind of device. And I said, how do you know that? You just saw me for like two seconds. So... Wow. Yeah, it was a little painful. I'll never... That is the worst luck. Yeah. I, and I'll never do it again. It really did teach me a lesson. I'll well, never I do guess it again. that it's a good thing, but um, I do find that people drive differently whether they're using handheld devices or not. Right. They're still... Their driving is still impacted. It still amazes me that when I drive on the highways, I do see people still holding cell phones to their ears. Absolutely. And that still kind of amazes me because I feel like, who does that? Lots of people still yeah. do that. And every, most cell phones, I shouldn't say every because I don't know for sure that every cell phone has a speakerphone option. But I would think that most cell phones have a speakerphone option that you could even put the phone in your lap. I agree. And that would make for much safer driving, I would imagine. So it always amazes me when I see people still holding the phones to their ears. I agree. I, I'm very surprised to see how many people I still see driving by me with and it's usually the ones weaving from lane to lane. Right. But um, yes, it definitely changes the way people drive and I'm surprised that they don't use what's available simply a speakerphone. Right. But Right. Um, and now they have the, you can route your phone calls through your radio. So yes. you could answer the phone and it comes through your radio and the car hears you talking somehow. Yeah. Well, it's a Bluetooth and I have right. that in my new car, which right. is a lifesaver. Right. But I'm not a big 
phone person, and yet I find that I use it often enough in the car that I could get many tickets if I still use right. the handheld. Right, for sure. So I, speaking of phones, I mean, this is like going back to the dark ages practically. I actually do remember when we got our first answering machine. Really? Yeah. And I remember my parents brought it home and they set the whole thing up. It was so exciting. And it worked with a regular cassette tape. And then there was one that said outgoing message, one that said incoming calls. And if you ran out of tape, you actually could replace it with the regular cassette tape. Really? Yeah. And that was even before I do remember those voicemail. cassette tapes, the regular cassette that would go in. Did um, you have that kind of the, answering machine We too? did have that answering machine for a while. And then we upgraded to the ones that used the micro cassette. Oh, yes. I remember those too. Oh, yes. We definitely had those. And I also remember when we got a, the first time we got a regular corded phone that you could program numbers into. That you could actually, um, you so know, you could you save had, numbers you could program, right. you know, your, your parents, dial. your mom, the speed dials. Right. And we got this new phone and we tried to program in our various relatives, siblings and parents. And something was wrong with the phone. And no matter what number we pushed, it dialed my mother. Oh, gosh. And it was kind of bizarre because... Um, well, it got me to call my mother very often. Oh, for sure. That's a good way. So I was sure she was behind that design. That's a good design. trick. Yes. Everybody put your mother's number into every phone number so that you could just press the speed dial. And I, you know, I was sure my mother was behind that design. That would be funny. Yeah. That would be very funny. Uh, we actually, uh, we had a funny situation here a little while ago where we kept misplacing the remote phones like the handheld phones, not a cell phone, a regular phone in the house. Although I know some people don't even have regular house phones anymore. They only have cell phones now. But we still have a house phone, but they're all cordless. And they all travel from base to base to base because they're all the same on the same system. And we just kept losing the phones. So we're having this discussion, you know, with our daughter, your granddaughter. <laughs> and Ari says, oh, my God. I have a great idea. Why don't we get, she, she, she started and she said, oh, you know, we should do, we should get something that keeps the phone close to the base. So Ari says, oh, I have such a great idea. Why don't we invent a string, like a cord that connects the phone to its base? And she's like, wow. That would be that's brilliant. That's brilliant. That's an awesome idea. That what would be What an amazing. innovator. How innovative, right? My gosh, he could be an inventor. He could make millions. <laughs> so what do you think about kids and phones, kids and cell phones? At what age do you think is appropriate for a child to begin carrying his or her own phone? I, I think that's an argument that's going to be ongoing for a while because as kids' friends get cell phones, they will want cell phones. And that gets, I think the bar gets lowered every time a younger kid gets a cell phone and their classmates all want the, want the phone. And uh, I believe that in different environments, different age kids will need a phone. Right. So personally, I don't see why anybody under the age of... Once a child drives, mm. for sure that child should have a phone. Right. But... Along with some lessons on driving and along with the driving lessons, they need um, limits and yeah. the parameters of what the phone should be for. I bet but, it's, I bet that's made it into driver's ed now. I'm sure it has because we and have a, the cell phone and on rules. The driver's but, test. Yeah. yeah, but um, just so that parents can keep a better handle right. on where their kids are and how they're doing when they're out driving. But also, I think once a kid is once a child is really going places on their own without super adult supervision, a phone could be really helpful. Right. But there need to be rules and limits, whatever their age. And also the child has to be responsible enough not to lose the phone while out and about. That would yes. also be a consideration uh, for uh, a parent. Yes. I, I, I know a child related to me who has been through numerous phones and he is not much past bar mitzvah. And he's been through a good number of phones already. But, uh, and, and I agree with also what you said before that it sort of depends also on the child's situation. Like if a child goes to a school where 
Um, he's walking home by himself as opposed to a school where he might get picked up by bus or maybe he's getting picked up by carpool and he doesn't know who's driving that day. That might be a situation where a younger child, maybe a fifth grader or you know, maybe even in some cases a fourth grader who might be walking home if they live close to the school by themselves. That might be a case where a cell phone would be a great idea, but perhaps in a more suburban type setting where the child just goes to a school on a bus, maybe a cell phone at that early age is not as necessary. I like the idea of the first cell phone or two for a child to be the kind of cell phone that only calls four or five numbers. Oh, yeah. And... um and maybe one with no texting. Right. And we just invested in a phone. It's not a phone. It's a GPS, really. Um, for an elder, It's meant for elderly people. Mm-hmm. But they also market them to for track, children. To track your you can, movements. You can see that person's movements. But it also functions as a phone. You program in four or five numbers. That's amazing. And first of all, it, it functions as an emergency if the person is in trouble. But you can also check on you can actually go onto the internet and see where that gps see, is see the location so, so assuming that the phone is with the person yes if they take it and if they remember to charge it but it's a good way to, i think to ease to get children into the um habit of using a phone responsibly right because and it also teaches children that it's important to let your parents know where you are and also that you we're giving you some freedom but we need to be aware of what of your whereabouts. So I have to ask you, you're a musical person. You you appreciate music. You like to sing. You like to dance. Do you own a personal music player? I don't have a musical a personal player yet. Yet. Oh, I like that answer. Yet. Um, it's in my future. But I'm a little afraid of them. So what do you still buy CDs? I do buy CDs. I I listen to a lot of music on CD. Um, and how do you think having your own? When you say it's you don't have it yet, it's in, it's in the works for the future. How do you think it will change you and change the way that you relate to music? Well, I'm a little overwhelmed with the uh, number of choices mm-hmm. and don't know how to even begin creating my own personal library it's just overwhelming to me it's scary I, I you know I'm just frightened of it and maybe that's a generational thing yeah you start to realize there's so much music there's out so there. much out there that I would want to put on and I actually made an attempt by taking a friend's player and downloading all the music she had on her player because we had the same taste in music and it was 2500 songs wow that's a lot of songs that's a, that's lot, a lot of, of music. songs And what do you think that listening to the iPod has done to community? Um, Yeah, I I see that um, people with iPods are now listening uh, individually to music. And they get to hear exactly what they want, when they want. But we don't listen to music in groups anymore. Um, You know, as, as... when I was raising my children, we always had music playing at home and everybody was listening to the same thing. You right. really didn't have much of a choice. Right. There was the stereo in the kitchen or in the living room and that's what was on and you know, that's what we all listened to. Uh, it's not a group activity anymore. It's right. totally similar to what the personal tablets and um, things like that have done. People don't really communicate as much as they used to with family. When you're at home, uh, no, it doesn't matter who else is at home with you. You're very often on your own. You're in your own little insular Yes, you are definitely in your, own, we've created, in your own little box. We've created our own little individual boxes. Right. And that could be a game. Right. It could be a music. It could be a movie. So there's this amazing thing happening now called the MP3 experiment which I don't know if some of our listeners have heard of it or not, but if you haven't if you haven't heard of it, you should check it out online or even attempt to join one of these MP3 experiments. So there's a group out there called Improv Everywhere, and what they do is if you join the MP3 experiment, you download a copy of a... You download a certain file that they've created onto your personal music device, 
and you join hundreds, probably thousands of people at a certain spot and you get together and you all put your iPods on and you press play at the same time. And the recorded piece, whatever it is, tells you what to do. Uh, everybody jump up and down. Everybody walk over to somebody with the bike and tell them to have a nice day. Everybody raise your hands and scream. Walk over here, walk over there. And when you see the video footage of this experiment, you see a group of hundreds of people, throngs of people doing the same thing at the same time, but they're all listening in their own earbuds, in their own ears. It's not something that they're hearing as a group, but it's something that they're hearing individually, but doing as a group. It's a really interesting phenomena. It's a really interesting thing to watch and an interesting thing to participate in. So if you're watching it, you don't hear the instruction. You just right. see them doing right. it. Right. So you could see like they, they've videoed these experiments. You know, they've ha happened in Manhattan and or surrounding areas. And you can watch just this huge gathering of people. And, and if you don't have... If you're, if you're a regular person sitting in the park and you're not part of the MP3 experiment and you're watching it happen, you'll see people all of a sudden just jumping up and down and you don't know why they're jumping. But it's just, it, it's amazing when you talk about the sense of community that perhaps is a little bit lost with this, you know, the new personal device, the sense of community is sort of being brought back a little bit, but in a new way. It's very cool. It's very interesting to watch. And I, I happen to love improv everywhere, and I, and some of the things they've done are really, really cool. Really cool. Uh, I saw one which was classical music, like just pick up people in, I think it was in Vienna, uh, somewhere in Europe. Uh, and it, it was just awesome. But I, I just think that the communal aspect of listening to music has been... Not lost, but diluted. It's not a, com it's not, unless you go to a concert, we don't listen to music together. Right. And you know, it's interesting. These days, it's hard also to find a play date where the children will just play something play. together. Um, I mean, if we have an empty day, a Sunday or an off day here at home, so the kids start off the day watching a little bit of television and then, you know, we tell them it's time to turn off the TV and they ask to go play the Wii. And then we feel good because they're playing the Wii, but at least they're being active. Yes, the Wii is wonderful. And after we tell them it's time to turn off the Wii, then they're already begging for the DS. And we're like, no, that's enough technology. And I literally have to look at them and say, people, we are people. Let's look around at people. Let's go outside and enjoy the fresh air. Not everything has to be through this, this you know, this box, as my dad would call it, you know, not everything has to be through this box that just sort of stares at you and you stare back. Um, but, you know, they say that in schools now, a lot of schools have smart boards and they say that the children actually are more engaged and learning better because the activities are very technological more aligned with what they're used to in life. So it's exciting to them because the, the math cubes could move on the screen and they could take their finger and drag it from one place to the next when they're practicing addition or they could write on the screen or touch something in a piece of music plays and that is making the learning more exciting and more engaging for them. I think the technology in school is absolutely wonderful. It's I, amazing. I, I think What's it's, happening? it's yeah. wonderful and I, I think in general technology is wonderful. I might be a little bit afraid of it, but I, I see that uh, kids just are so natural with it. It's just so matter-of-fact to them. Yeah, my students have taught me things on my Apple devices that I didn't know. Just little shortcuts, little things you could do with your fingers. It's it's very easy for them. And I, I actually think it was one of your children. No, I'm sorry. It was one of my other grandchildren who was showing me the funky things you can do with Google by typing in slant and then everything comes up slanted. Oh, that's cool. I or, didn't know you could um, do that. Yeah, or, or uh, I don't know, there were some other words. You type the word in the Google bar and the screen ends up doing that. Right. Um, some of my upside students... Upside down. Oh, just, that's cool. You know, do a search for upside down and then everything will turn upside down. Oh, that's Google. cool. Um, so the kids just take to it so wonderfully and, and it really ex expands the horizons. It my horizons as an as an older person but also the children's there's so much at their fingertips yeah that i would have to physically as a child i had to physically 
take the few hours and walk to the library and sit in the library and look things up in books. It's, everything is at their feet. Yes, there literally is an entire world out there. Technology is absolutely brilliant and wonderful. But there do need to be limits, and we need to put the limits on our children because they won't do it for themselves. Right. Right. I want to get to some quotes here because this is, um, we just have a couple of minutes left. And some of these quotes here address exactly the things that we've been talking about here. So Albert Einstein has a quote here that says, and I'll just read the quote out to you and then just get some response. It has become appallingly obvious that our technology has exceeded our humanity. Wow. That's a pretty powerful statement right there. And that's Albert Einstein before... Uh, right. Um, before iPad, iPads. Moving on. Any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. I find that so true. To some I mean, of us, think yeah. about the, the, the things you could do on a smart board. I mean, yeah. now there's... Um, this is something new that just came out this year on the smart board that you can write something on the board with a tool that it actually erases itself after like 20 seconds. Cool. And yes. it's gone. It's very cool. But you know, I, I remember when faxes seemed like magic. Oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. You put something in a machine and somebody else hundreds of miles away gets it. Right. It just... Uh, yeah, the thought of it is just It was magical. It was magical. So what do you think about this one? Everybody gets so much information all day long that they lose their common sense. That's another quote I found. Don't know if I agree with it, but... Um, do you think sometimes they we're... They might lose their perspective, yes. Mm -hmm. You don't think sometimes we're, we are actually in information overload? Oh, yes, absolutely overloaded But do you think that the common sense is still there? Yeah, I don't think it has anything to do with... Con I think people might just... When you're in information overload, you just shut down. You just can't absorb anymore. Right. It's just, there's too much out there. Right. And I don't know about you, but I don't believe anything I read on the internet. Nothing. Just about. <laughs> I mean, unless I'm in like, you know. Unless you're reading like the newspaper. New York Times, right. WCBS. Right. Uh, you know, the ones that I'm familiar with as, as valid sources. But otherwise, um, much of what I see on the internet, I just, you know. Somebody will send me a picture. I'll go, no, no it's not real. It's photoshopped. Right. It's photoshopped. Yeah. yeah, these days it's hard to get something genuine. You, see, you know, a friend there. will send me these beautiful pictures of nature, and I go, yeah, okay, not real. Right, not real, for sure. So some of these quotes are actually just comical. Um, this one says, we are stuck with technology when what we really want is just stuff that works. Yeah, cute. So remember, like, when you, you just – you just want that page to load or you just want right. and it's just not going well for you. Right. Or you're working on the computer and it suddenly goes dead. Oh yeah. Because you don't have the charger. Oh yes, that has happened. And uh what about when you're working on a document and you forget to save it and then the Ugh. computer crashes on you and it's like, Oh, gotta start again. Uh I actually like this next quote a lot because I just think it says something about people. One machine is not necessarily about technology, but just about machines. One machine can do the work of 50 ordinary men. No machine can do the work of one extraordinary man. Wow, yeah, that's great. And doesn't that speak to just the power of the person? Yes. That even technology, even the robot device that I saw in the catalog this morning, the toy catalog that could bring its its advertisement says, put a note on me and I can bring it to your mother. You can attach a note to the robot and it will fly across the room or whatever, roll on the floor and bring a note to the mother. And even robots can't replace extraordinary a people, a brain. Right. No matter how advanced the brain is. There was know, a the movie out very is. recently called Robot and Frank. Okay. Uh, about an elderly person who's um, not handling uh, getting older very well and his children are exasperated with him and they buy him a robot because he refuses to have help or move anywhere. They buy him a robot and he's been a petty criminal most mm -hmm. of his life and he teaches the robot to help him steal. With his criminal activities. <laughs> yes, they steal, they steal art. Look at that. They're the robots very helpful for him in his 
in his life. Um, I'm going to end with one quote here. It's from Pablo Picasso. It's attributed to Pablo Picasso. You know, get these from the internet. I don't know. If you don't believe anything you read on the internet. So this one says, computers are useless. They can only give you answers. Oh, I love that one. I love that one. Well, thanks so much for being here today and for talking to me about technology. And um, I really enjoyed the talk with you. And ladies and gentlemen out there, I hope that today we've given you something to talk about. Let's give them something to talk about. Something to talk about. Let's give them something to talk about. Something to talk about. Let's give